This lesson is taken from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Amen. Thank you, Steph. Good morning, everybody. It's my uh, joy and a great privilege to be here with you this morning. My name's Arthur Chapman. I live in Lim. I worship at Lim Baptist Church. I was saved, prayed into the kingdom. At the end of 1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1989-1
I joined the Gideons about 13 years ago, Marilyn too. Just recently we were at um, Culture High School, not too far from here. Um, we've been trying for ages to get an appointment there for an assembly, but I don't know whether any of you are teachers or are involved with schools, but to try and get a year seven assembly is becoming more and more difficult now because so many schools are organised by houses or by hall. And we didn't get much of a response, but um, the, the chap who was trying to organise the appointment just suggested that we, we could do what we'd done in other, some other schools and, and take a year, uh, year seven RE classes. And that was picked on and responded to very quickly. So we had the privilege of going in there and uh, over four days doing seven one-hour RE lessons with the whole of Year 7. And really, it's quite an eye-opener, actually, because obviously in an assembly there's not a lot of interaction, but in a one-hour lesson you've got a lot of time with the boys and girls, 11 and 12 years old. And it's a real sobering thought for us as Christians, just how little... So many children nowadays know of the scriptures and of the gospel message. I think that's quite a challenge to us. So I'm a Gideon, but my main kind of area of ministry at the moment, uh, um, well, let me just say, as a Gideon, a few years ago, around about 2003, I was charged with trying to get scriptures into Risley Prison uh, without too much success. But... A dear friend at Lynn Baptist Church, Dorothy Evans, I don't know whether any of you know her, but she, uh, she's a retired GP, and for many years she worked as a bereavement counsellor in Risley Prison. And one day she came to the church meeting and said, there's a new pastor, a new chaplain in Risley, and he wants to run the Alpha course. He's looking for volunteers. And so that was my uh, start of being involved in prison ministry. We ran 12 Alpha courses over six years in Risley with uh, you know, a lot of success, men coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. But then John Sefton, the chaplain, retired, and the doors there at the moment are closed. Uh, hopefully there's a little chink, and we're hoping that we might be able to get back into Risley Prison before too long. As a result of going into Risley, though, Dorothy said there's a little prayer group that meet over in Culture or Croft, and they pray for Risley. They don't go into Risley. We do. Why don't we get together? And then the praying could be more specific. And that's how I got involved with an organization called Prison Fellowship, which is a Christian charity and uh, works with prisoners, their families, and generally offering support to chaplains in prison. And there's four main strands to the work of Prison Fellowship. Prayer groups is the first one that I got involved in. And uh, we, we aim to have a prayer group praying for every prison in this land. Uh, and then the next thing I got involved in through the, the prayer group was something called Angel Tree. And Angel Tree is a scheme where an offender in prison can ask that a gift is sent to their child at Christmas. And they write out a form, they write, write a little message to the child. We cut that out, buy a present up to the, around about £10 present and pass it up, send it off with the dads or the mum. We do it in style women's prison as well. Send that gift off, and that, that's Angel Tree. <clears throat> and at Thorncross Young Offenders, where I'm, I do most of my prison work at the moment, we've extended that to include um, family fun days four times a year that we, we'll take a gift in for the child that's come to meet the dad, spend some time with the dad, and it's like a going home present from dad to the child. And... Um, 
That is because one of the um, ways of reducing reoffending is seen to be to try and maintain and keep established uh, family, family connections. So that's Angel Tree. The third area is letter writing. And uh, that's something that, you know, if you think, oh, I can't go into prison, but I want to be, I'd like to help an offender, you can get involved in writing to a prisoner. And it's all done through post office boxes with um, a pseudonym. For you, you know, you don't use your real name and address or anything like that. So that's the third area. Let me just get a drink. But the area that I'm really uh, very much involved in at the moment, and it was so good to hear Malcolm mention restitution, because um, a course that I tutor in um, Thorncross and in Style Women's Prison is about victim awareness and restorative justice. I don't know whether you've observed in the media recently how the restorative justice principles are getting more and more prominent. And um, this idea of involving the victim and the community in deciding how somebody should be punished or to how the, the, the offender can make restitution after, um, after the event. And uh, the, the course that I tutor in, in Thorncross and in, in uh, style is based on this story in Luke 19 um, of Zacchaeus. It's a six-week course and um, it's proving very successful. Now Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that, don't we? Do you believe that? All scripture is God-breathed. That doesn't mean that God stood next to the people writing it, but by his spirit he inspired them to write what they wrote. Dr. Luke said in his gospel that he wrote it and then the book of Acts for the most excellent Theophilus or Theophilus some Roman guy we don't know who he was probably quite an important guy but they've been teaching him the truth of the, the gospel what Jesus had come from but this is what he said he said he's writing it so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught but you know Luke couldn't have I'm sure couldn't have had a clue that, you know, 2,000 years later, these accounts in the, the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts would be part of this holy book we call the Bible. But even if he thought that people might read it in the future, I'm sure he could never have imagined that one of the stories that's only found in his Gospel would be used 2,000 years later in prisons, not just in this country, but all over the world to teach offenders about restorative justice, about making restitution for the hurt and harm that their crimes have done. God knew, of course, because he is completely outside of our time frame. So this guy, Zach, and we call, sorry, I call him Zach in the prison, and it's easier to say anyway than Zacchaeus. Zach, you know, he's got this job as a tax collector. 
And he's, he's one of the chief tax collectors. He's very powerful. He's very rich. He's only a short guy. But nobody dared, can, you know, you say to the lads sometimes, you know, why, didn't, why do you think the people didn't just kind of biff him one? You know, I mean, that's probably what some of, they would, some of them would have done, how they'd reacted. But the truth is, of course, that he had the power of the Roman army and the Roman Empire behind him. He had the authority from them to collect these taxes. But the thing was, if, they, if the Romans said, we want you to collect 5% tax, he could impose a higher tax, say 10%, pay the 5% over to the Romans, and the extra money he made, of course, in his back pocket there. So he became very rich and powerful. But he'd heard about Jesus coming. It wasn't on Facebook, it wasn't on Twitter, it wasn't on the news. But the word of mouth had spread that something amazing was happening in the area and this chap Jesus was doing amazing things. So he'd heard that Jesus was coming and he was curious. He wanted to see what all the fuss was about so he went to Abaganda but the crowds were enormous and he's only a short guy so he can't see over the crowds. He's not very popular so they're not going to let him get to the front but he spots this tree and he thought I'll go and climb up that tree. He climbs a tree. That tree was a sycamore tree. Sycamore fig tree, it actually says in the Bible. But we call the course that we teach sycamore tree, based on this story. Jesus comes by. Zach just intended, I'm sure, just to watch him go by and just get a, a look at him. But Jesus actually stopped, told him to come down from the tree. He said, I'm coming to your house, going to have something to eat with you. And as a result of whatever was said, Zach changed completely. He had that complete turnaround in his life. And he didn't just say, sorry. Anyone can say they're sorry, can't they? He showed he was sorry by giving back four times what he'd cheated people from. And then he gave half of his fortune away. That is making restitution for the harm and the hurt that he's done. So we use that story a great effect on this sycamore tree course because it's a wonderful example of restorative justice. Now when we're doing sycamore tree course it's an externally accredited course with the Open College Network and so whereas in the other parts of the ministry we can be openly Christian and promote the faith in the case of sycamore we're faith based but not faith promoting. But Of course, the word of God is in there and the Holy Spirit's anointed this course and he's changing people's lives. But it wasn't just written by Luke for prisoners. Not prisoners behind bars anyway. It was written for every one of us and especially for people who are still imprisoned by their sin. So let's just have a little uh, look at this story. It's often um, used with the children because you can do lots of lovely pictures of a guy up a tree and all that kind of stuff, can't you? But you see, when Zach climbed up this tree, he was a lost sinner. But after he got back down to the ground, he was a child of God. What happened to Zach after he'd had this encounter with Jesus? Come on, please. So it's an encounter with Jesus. Can we move on to the first headline? First of all, he had this divine confrontation with Jesus. 
And the next first heading, please. His description, verse 2. He was chief of the publicans and tax collectors. A chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He was no doubt uh, despised and hated by most of the people in Jericho. He was working for the Romans, as I mentioned, and the tax collectors were no- notorious for taking this extra bit of money for themselves, and that they got rich as a result. They were guilty of extortion and theft, defrauding the people. They were, de- they were viewed by the community as the worst of sinners. That was Zach. That was his description. What about his desire? Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Verse 3 is clear when it says he was a rich man. He'd grown that way on the backs of his fellow Jews. But still it would seem that this money and this power didn't satisfy him completely. There was something missing from his life. He may have had a, what we call nowadays a Napoleon complex because of his um, being vertically challenged. He was short, so he perhaps tried to compensate for this uh, by throwing his power around. But none of this could actually satisfy him. He had this something in his, in his inside, deep inside, that he knew was missing. And when he heard about this guy Jesus coming to town, to Jericho, He wanted to see him. He'd heard about Jesus. Now he was curious. So his decision. Next heading, please. Because he was a small man, unable to see them, he decided he'd climb up this tree. So what was it that made this small man humble himself like a little child to climb a tree so that he might see above the crowds? What was it, do you think, that might have got him so interested in this man named Jesus? Well, I reckon he may have heard some stories. As I say, everything was uh, getting around by word of mouth. There's no TV or radio or anything like that. Perhaps he'd heard how this blind man called Bartimaeus had been healed earlier that very day. In the previous chapter, it tells us about that. He may even have known Bartimaeus. Might have been one of his uh, customers. Maybe he'd heard stories about how Jesus had healed the sick, cast out demons, and even raised people from the dead. Maybe he'd heard about these miracles and the claims of Jesus. And he realized even more, hearing what Jesus was doing, that there was something missing from his life. Perhaps when he heard what Jesus had done for others, it stirred something in his own heart. And maybe he wondered what Jesus could perhaps do for him. Perhaps that's why he climbed the tree that day. He wanted help and he wanted peace. And nothing he'd tried in his work as a tax collector, the money, the power, had been able to give him that. Of course, it was no accident that Zach heard about Jesus. God was working ahead through his Holy Spirit. 
in the heart of this little lost man. And I believe that's a fantastic picture of so many people today who don't know the Lord Jesus. From every outward appearance, they give the impression that they've got it made. Um, you know, limbs a fairly affluent area. Locking stumps is, you know, up there too, isn't it? And people are quite happy with their lot on the outward appearance. Their nice house, nice car on the drive and so on. But many people are wearing a mask. And if you pull this facade down and look into their hearts, you'll find that many, in fact, are empty inside. They're longing for something that they don't have. They're hungry and they cannot, cannot be satisfied by their sins, by their possessions, or by their, life, by their lifestyles. They need something, but they really don't know what it is. Then maybe one day they see a changed life, or they witness an act of kindness, or hear a gospel song, or some event takes place in their life that really stops them in the track. I, um, as I say, came to faith towards the end of 88, but what first got me involved, if you like, was the fact that my wife met somebody at the school gate, both taking the children to the primary school, age four, four or five at that time. And there was something in, in this lady called Anne, who's still a good friend at Lynn Baptist Church, that Marilyn, my wife, thought, she's got something that I haven't got. And it developed from that. Marilyn and Vicky, my youngest, started going to Lynn Baptist Church then during 88 because she'd been attracted by something that she'd seen in another person. And then Anne and her husband and a few other people in what they call the outreach team were praying for me. And that's why I say I was prayed into the kingdom. Hallelujah. But people see something in, that really just makes them think, is this something? Is this something that I should be trying to get? And that's what Marilyn felt. And that led to me, my other daughter, also coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. Just like Zach, people may be curious about Jesus, having heard about him. But it's only when they're introduced to Jesus and meet him that change occurs. And that's the essence of conviction. The Spirit of God confronts the lost sinner with the claims and demands of the gospel. Just as Jesus promised he would when he said in, in John 16, 7 to 11... He promised to send the counsellor who would lead us into all righteousness, convict us of our sin. So it's a divine confrontation. It was a divine call, please. Next heading point. As he passed the place where Zach was up in the tree, Jesus stopped and began to speak to him. He issued a call to this little man, and this call resulted in an inter, uh, ex, sorry, it, it resulted in eternal change of life for the tax collector. The little guy met a big, big God. It was a personal call. When Jesus spoke, he called Zach by name. Zacchaeus apparently means pure. I doubt that many people called Zach pure. 
He probably had some nasty little names for him. But Jesus saw him not as he was, but as the person that he had the potential to be. And that's how God sees each one of us. Praise, praise the Lord for that. No one is beyond redemption. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus. Pardon receives. That's what motivates me to go into prisons. The king says in Matthew 25, I was in prison and you visited me. And he went on to say, as much as you do this to the least of these, you do it unto me. Now, Zach probably thought he'd get up the tree, watch Jesus go by, and then he'd climb down and go home. He never expected the Lord to stop and talk to him. But when Jesus did stop and speak to him, Jesus called him by name. The very one who he'd offended most. Because, friends, we do need to realize that our sin really hurts our Savior. We sing in one of the songs, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. He was the one who spoke to him in love and in compassion. He must have almost fallen out of that tree when he heard Zach call him by name. Sorry, when he heard Jesus call him by name. It was a very personal call. And this shows us that the Lord was looking for Zach before Zach ever started looking for the Lord. Jesus says to each one of us, doesn't he, you did not choose me, but I chose you. When the Lord calls a lost person to come to him, he doesn't issue blanket calls when he calls it personal. It was for me, and I'm sure it was, will have been for you too. I wonder, is there someone here this morning that Jesus is calling? It was a personal call. It was a plain call. Zach, come down immediately, the Lord told Zach exactly what he had to do. There'd be no debate, no ambiguity. Jesus was clear and he was plain. When the Lord calls a lost sinner to himself for salvation, he'll leave no doubt about what he expects them to do. People may not know how to pray when they come to the Lord, but they know what they need. They know they're burdened by a heavy weight of sin. You know, we were standing in the door with uh, Steve early on, and I saw this guy walking past. He's obviously training for some big march or something, but he had a great big haversack on his back, and you just got that picture of people being burdened by the weight of sin. They might not realize just what it is that's weighing them down, but it's sin. And they know that this sin offends the holy God and they know that Jesus is their only hope and they know that he's the key to getting their sin taken care of they know he has a plan and that following that plan is their only hope salvation belongs to no one else Peter said for there's no other name under heaven given to man by which we may be saved. Only Jesus, 
the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And he does have a plan. It's a simple plan. You know, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, B, C. A, acknowledge. Acknowledge what? Acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner. The first stage of the restorative justice process is taking responsibility for your actions, accepting that you've done wrong, confessing. That's the first stage. If you don't get past that stage, you won't become reconciled. And it's the same in the matter of salvation. If we don't hold up our hands and say, yeah, we've done wrong, we're sinners, we won't get any further. Romans 3.23 says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And there's no degrees of sin. It doesn't matter if you've um, killed somebody or if you've just pinched a few paper clips from work or whatever. You've sinned. You know, I meet quite a few guys and uh, a girl in style, actually, who uh, were in there for death by dangerous driving. And that's... Terrible, terrible thing, and some people say, well, they didn't get sentenced long enough, but many of them, there's one guy I'm thinking of in particular who's from Lim, actually. You know, he got three and a half years or so, but he's actually carrying a life sentence because he killed his best mate in a car accident. But they, they need Jesus in their lives. So acknowledge that you're a sinner, confess, repent. That's the word, isn't it, that we use? Repent. That's the A. The B is to believe. A, acknowledge you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember in the story in Acts that Luke wrote about um, Paul and Silas in, in, in prison? And the jailer, after that earthquake had blown open all the doors, he said, what must I do to be saved? Remember the reply? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. And in Romans 10, 9 it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Believe that. And then C is consider yourself saved. Believe it, accept it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as easy as ABC. And it was a promising call. The words of Jesus promised much more than a a casual meeting under a tree. Jesus said, I must stay at your house today. He might also have said something like, none of these uh, neighbours of yours will come back to your house with you. But me, I, the King of glory, I'm coming back to your house. I'm going to eat with you. What a promise. You know, when when each of us gets saved, Jesus comes to live with us the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts the God of heaven living in me when we sing King of Kings Majesty that's a wonderful line isn't it the God of heaven living in me and it's an amazing truth and it's wonderful to behold when I got saved uh, I became a new creation 
And Jesus started to change things in my life. He changed everything in my life because that's what he does. And Zach is about to find that out too because it was a divine conversion. Almost before he can set his feet back on the ground, he's a new man. Just notice what happened in, in his life. First of all, he heeded the call. He did exactly what the Lord had told him to do. He came down immediately. But the scripture also says that he welcomed him gladly. Some translations say he received him. And in the original it means to receive as a guest, to receive beneath the service, to take in. The idea here is that Zach welcomed Jesus as a guest, but at the same time, he was receiving Jesus into his heart. He'd heard the claims. He'd heard the call. Now he makes the commitment. That's what salvation is all about. Almost there. So he, de he demonstrated a change as the next heading. It doesn't take long for the new Zach to appear. He stands and he makes a bold promise to give away half of his fortune and to pay back four times the amount he's overtaxed people. As I said earlier, he didn't just say that he was sorry. He showed he was sorry. He demonstrated he was sorry. And I just wonder if his ears were actually shocked to hear what his mouth was saying. What is he doing here? He's publicly renouncing his old life of sin, a life of lying and cheating and extortion, and he's embracing this new life of faith and holy living. Zach's displaying the kind of change Jesus makes to every person that he saves by his grace. And then he received a confirmation. He knew he was different, but it was confirmed by the words of the Savior. Jesus told Zach and anyone else who was listening that this man was a saved man, that he was a new man in the Lord. Salvation always brings with it the assurance that it's real. There's an inner witness, Romans 8.16 says, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And there's an outer witness. James 2.18 says, I will show you my faith by what I do. So do you have the inner witness of the Spirit to support your profession of faith? Do you have the outward witness of a changed life to support, support your profession of faith? If both of these are there, then rejoice for it demonstrates the truth of what you claim to be. It's as if Jesus himself was saying about you what he said about Zach. Salvation has come to your house today. So in conclusion, friends, Jesus closes his remarks with a clear mission statement, something we should remember as we approach, you know, in this period of Lent, we approach... Um, Holy Week he says for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost 
and it was as if Jesus was saying to everyone in the room that day and to anyone who would ever read this story in Luke 19 what has happened to Zach can happen to you and this is what we pray will happen uh, to the offenders on the Sycamore Tree course it's been running about 100 and, no sorry 34 prisons we'd like it to be running 100 prisons but it costs money and, and the government in this area at time of cuts and so on but um, 120 courses were run uh, last year and we're hoping to do at least the same this year but we pray that the offenders who do the sycamore tree course will not only uh, become aware of the victims be thinking about making restitution but will actually have their lives transformed by an encounter with Jesus they too need to experience a divine confrontation a divine call and a divine conversion and if you're here this morning and you realise that you've not actually yet received salvation please don't leave this place this morning without talking to somebody and following this ABC of salvation let's pray Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its truth. Just pray, Lord, that as we've looked at this passage this morning, Lord, that you will have spoken to each one of us. And, Lord, that we will be ready to respond in the way you would have us respond to it. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.